prevent wildfires. Welcome to Growing Up in America here on 90.1 FM KPFT Pacific Radio, a discussion on our children, public policy, and how do we as a city and community do when it comes to taking care of all the children. Growing Up in America is a production of Children at Risk, the voice of Texas Children, a nonprofit organization dedicated to research, public policy, law, and collaborative action on behalf of Texas youth. We've got about five segments for you today uh, discussing policy movements and important critical matters with everything related to children, their caregivers, and the society that they grow up on. Today, your hosts are Naomi Fletcher and Claire Dutre. We are representatives of the early childhood education and K-12 through education space at Children at Risk. And our fun number for the day is point .63. Every week, we give you a teaser number and a invite you to guess what this number represents. So today the number is 63. Point 0.63. Oh. Yes. There you go. What do you think that number ne- means, Naomi? You know, I really have no idea. We're talking about women today. Happy International Women's Happy Day. Happy International Women's Month. Um, so maybe this is 63% of women who are in the workforce in Texas. Oh, you made it a percentage there. Maybe, or actually, my guess might be the answer, and I don't want to do that. Um, Maybe 63% of women at Children at Risk. It's a higher percentage than that. Yeah, I think we're at about 92% (laughs) of the staff at Children at Risk. Anyways, give us your guess. Call in and let us know what you think 0.63 represents when it comes to children in Texas or women in Texas. Um, And then we're going to go ahead and start the show off with our thumbs up, thumbs down. We are. So let's get down, let's get down to business. You know, there's lots of talk about what maternity leave should really entail, you know. And as a it mother does. of a young child, I'm interested in this debate. I have no children, but I'm also interested as a woman who could have a child. So one of the questions we entertain is how much time should women be allowed to take off or pregnant people be allowed to take off mm-hmm. after giving birth to their child? Yeah, three years approximately. I think I'm good with two. I don't <laughs> oh, want to stay home for three No, years. I'm kidding. But what is... Than average right now in the United States? Six months. That is definitely not enough. How much does it take to actually recover before like being able to spend time with your child? 15 months. Okay. so That's a personal testimony. <laughs> that I'm is sure, not evidence-based. I'm sure the women listening or those who can get pregnant listening can definitely aid and support that claim. I'm telling you. What is our thumbs up, thumbs down topic? Maternal allowance. Maternal allowance. Our good friends in the UK. I know. Allow every childbearing person to collect an allowance. Yes. What is that? What does that mean? And why is that different from leave? Uh, So what it is, is just a compliment, right? Like Mm -hmm. every employed person does not get paid maternity leave. They're allowed to take the time off. But employers in the United States are not obligated to pay families for that time that they're taking off. And so maternal allowance allows everyone, the family together to get paid during that time, whether it's six months or a year, they get to... Have an income income. and focus on adapting to the, to bringing this child home, right? Yeah, yeah. What a stress reliever. I know. Seems like a, an easy yes. What are, what are some cons of this? Um, or specifically, I know in the UK you do have to be employed. So it is a stressor of if you are unemployed or in between, if you have to leave because of low maternity leave. Um, you don't get the allowance, so then you're in that sticky situation. Yeah, another one is funding. You know, money yeah. is, money is always a hot topic. Where always the foundation. What foundation. system are you going to establish in order to keep this fund populated so right. that there's enough money to cover all of the women who qualify for this? Correct. 
the United States might have a problem trying to find some of those funds. They might, and they might need to look to maternity leave first and getting that in order and making sure that we have a strong maternity leave extension in our United States and in Texas. Uh, But do we think that alleviating that financial burden is important enough to really approve a maternal allowance for all working persons? I I would hope so. I know the the depth of finances always becomes a con and becomes the devil's advocate of any conversation. Um, But it does ultimately help. It gets the mother and family um, out of that financial burden, can get them back to the workplace. So it could in turn help the economy in the long run. Yeah, and just, I'm gonna say. you know, alleviating that burden of I got to get back to work soon because I need right. my full income to come in so that I can support my child, right? You you get a little bit more time to balance your priorities. Um, yeah. So, Claire, what are you saying? Are you giving uh, maternal allowance in the United States? I, I am thumbs, thumbs up, up maternal thumbs allowance. Down. And I understand we need to find the money and do a lot of work with maternal leave. But I'm thumbs up okay. helping new moms. And what about specifically for Texas? I still, that would also be in the United States, Naomi. So I would be thumbs up maternal allowance for the United States. Oh, the Texas, t- Texas is in the United States? <laughs> I wasn't aware. Sometimes it feels like we're we're own separate country. All right. We've got some more things coming up today. Uh, what's next? We have our first call-in guest, Lindsay Wilkerson. Lindsay, how are you? I'm doing well. How are y'all? We are doing well. Happy International Women's Day slash month. Yes, happy International Women's Day. That is actually one of the things that I was going to be talking with y'all about today. We would love to hear more about how International Women's Day came to be and what we are actually celebrating today. Yes, so it's a day on March 8th every year. It's a global day that celebrates the social, cultural, political, and economic achievements of women. It also acts as a call to action for moving towards or accelerating the path towards women's equality. So the first International Women's Day gathering was in 1911. Oh, Yeah, so it's been going on for quite a while, and every year they have a different theme for the day, and this year is hashtag Embrace Equity. So what are some of the areas where women are still fighting to get a lot of progress on equity matters? There are a number of areas, unfortunately. So when it comes to pay equity, um, access to affordable and quality child care, health insurance, um, health care coverage, mental health access. There's a number of areas where there definitely needs to be progress. Gender equity really needs to be a part of every society. And this is something you can't just talk the talk. You also have to walk the walk. So we need to be challenging gender stereotypes, calling out discrimination and bias that we're seeing and seeking out inclusion of women in these spaces. It requires support from allies, and allies are an important part for this advancement of women in all these spheres and spaces that women act in. If we're currently on, if we stay on the current trajectory, the UN Women actually estimates that globally women won't reach full equity for another 300 years. Oh, surpasses surpasses us very scary and what are the the main buckets that we fall behind or that sets us back mostly in terms of unpaid work um gender-based violence again access to child care so with pay equity mm-hmm. as many people know and i think they'll be talking a bit more later about but women earn 80 cents to every dollar that a man earns in Texas. And so when you look at the number of women that have low-wage jobs in Texas, this is just under 30%. If these women were paid the same as um, comparable men within society, poverty rate for these women would be reduced by more than half. 
and poverty rates among employed single mothers would drop by nearly half. So this is important when we have 15% of women and girls in Texas experiencing poverty compared to 12% of men and boys. And when we also look at the number of female-headed households or women that are breadwinners of family, nationally it's 41%, but in Texas it's 60% of Texas mothers are breadwinners. So when we look at the pay equity Access to child care, which has a huge impact on mothers' ability to work, their economic opportunities, lack of access to health care. All of these are compounding factors that are impacting a woman's ability to thrive and succeed. Lindsay, can you share with us some of the tactics that have helped make progress in some of these areas that you're aware of? It definitely is a collective effort. So really having that collective voice that's coming together, knowing who your allies are, being able to partner with those people. Again, it takes everyone to be able to address these issues. There are a number of, you know, recent policies that have set some of these facts for women. And so it's regrouping and being able to move forward and address these issues. Um, In Texas, we're looking to expand postpartum Medicaid eligibility to 12 months, which would be a huge win for healthcare access for mothers. But we've also seen setbacks at the federal level. There was a recent ruling um, in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which struck down a federal law prohibiting individuals facing domestic violence restraining orders from possessing firearms. Mm -hmm. When we're not protecting our women and creating a safe environment for women and our children, we're going to continue to see inequity in many of these areas. Right. And listening to what's happening in the Texas legislature, I know you mentioned some postpartum leave or Medicaid expansion. What are some other things that are happening right now in Texas or you talked a little bit about nationwide um, that women are fighting for and that we would need more ally support like you mentioned? Healthcare access and reproductive healthcare are two mm-hmm. big issues right now. Um, also, access to affordable and quality child care, that's another huge area that really needs attention. There is a lot of um, legislation and support that we see across the state for these issues. It's just what's going to happen and what will we see come about um, at the end of this legislative session. Yeah. So one thing that's striking me as interesting, like, I don't know the exact numbers, but women are excelling in getting advanced education, right? When we look at the rates of women versus men who are pursuing collegiate and post-secondary education, like women tend to have higher rates of education. So what is happening to create this wage discrepancy uh, between like graduation and hiring that we can seek to interact in? I think there's a lot of research that shows that there's underlying biases and problems within the system that are creating these wage gaps. And so women also, when they're coming into certain roles, they're not being seen at as an equal to their male counterparts within the same, you know, profession. And so it's overturning some of these biases and misconceptions about women, their role within the workforce, their um, accomplishments, and really what they're able to bring to the table and valuing their time and their work the same as their male counterparts. Fun question for you, Lindsay. If you could get one bill passed this legislative session with regards to women's equity, no restrictions. What would you push through? That is a tough one. Um, I think one of the most impactful ones would be the Medicaid expansion. I just think that overall that would have a huge impact on women's health. We 
you know, high rates of infant mortality and maternal mortality, and a lot of that is linked to healthcare access. And so when we're not providing um, this expanded postpartum coverage to mothers, I do think we tend to see higher rates of these. There's a lot of research that backs that up. So this expansion, I think, would have a really positive effect on the lives of mothers and children in Texas. So I think Lindsay's agreeing with me that we need at least 12 months to recover once a new person has come into our lives. She's not going to go with me to 15, but she'll get with me on 12. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for calling in. We appreciate your time today. Hope you have a good week. Thank you all. I appreciate it. It's time for the dinner. We are moving on to data of the day with our favorite segment ever. Layla is on the phone. Layla, how are you? Good. How are y'all? We are great. Happy International Women's Day. Sorry, did I? <laughs> How's the weather in Southern California today? <laughs> um, you know, uh, sunny and mild. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've been trying to figure out what this 0.63 represents. Can you help us? Any any guesses? I uh, Well, we both went for the percentage route because as I started thinking of another guess, I looked and it is, it is the answer. But our guess was, what was your 63? 63% of women in Texas are in the workforce. That is hmm. Good. Mine was just 63% of women are at children at risk. Or our staff is 63% women because my original guess... 63% of women work for children at risk. Well, yeah. No. <laughs> That's actually what I meant. We We're have one a large market. organization. <laughs> yeah. No, no. But what does that number mean, Layla? Um, so 63, it could be converted into a percentage. Um, but 63, it is 63 cents. Um, so as we know, there is a gendered pay gap, um, and one of the numbers that gets cited rather often is the overall number. So Census Bureau data from 2021 shows that overall women are earning about 82 cents for every dollar that men earned. However, that gap is also racialized. Um, so black women earned about 63 cents for every dollar that white men earned, and Latino women earned about 58 cents for every dollar that white men earned. Yeah, and breaking it down, too, by level of education, what would that look like? So the, it does vary by level of education. So the pay gap is greatest for women with less than a high school diploma or the equivalent. Um, and it's smaller for the smallest for women with a bachelor's degree. Um, so among full and part-time workers with less than a high school diploma, women are earning about 66 cents on the dollar. Um, and among workers with a bachelor's degree, women are earning about 70 cents on the dollar for every dollar earned by men. And the only reason we're able to track for this discrepancy is gender at this time? Um, can you ask that question a different way? Um, are there any other variables that we could use to justify the difference in pay other than gender? Um, other, well, like like we're seeing, it's the intersection of both gender and race. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. So Great. when I go to the store, I can say, can I get the black woman's price for this <laughs> furniture, please? <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, but this this is, it's a conversation that we've heard over and over the... We don't earn the full dollar, eighty two, sixty three, however many cents it is per dollar. What would it take? And it's scary too to intersect that with like maternity leave, maternal allowance, and we see, um, like Lindsay said, a lot of those statistics could stem from this. So where is there any push or legislation, any advocacy to close this gap or where is the actual momentum? Well, I mean, I think there's a number of things, right? There's so many different factors at play. Um, so on the one hand, we definitely need 
some way to ensure that we have universal high quality child care for all families because unfortunately in many families um, the burden of child care fall- falls disproportionately on women. Um, mm-hmm. So having high quality, affordable, accessible child care for all families would go a long way ensuring that women can meet their earning potential. Um, we also... I would say that pay transparency would go a really long way to make sure that workers are able to know um, what kind of disparities exist within their own workplaces, and they're making sure that they're being paid what they're worth. Um, And then as far as legislation, I mean, yeah, all of the barriers that prevent women from fully participating in the workforce, um, including, you know, um, high-quality child care, um, issues in terms of maternal health, um, all play into these numbers. When you're looking at the trends, um, is this gap widening, decreasing, or staying relatively stagnant? Naomi, you got to ask me a question that I do not have the data in front of me for. I yeah, am so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> you know, I'm just curious. This, this stuff sparks I, I do not have the data in front of me. Um, so I cannot speak on that. I would say that, I know what, I don't want to speculate. I do feel like that 82 cent overall number is a little bit higher than some of the numbers that has been floated around in the past. Um, so it may be shrinking, but if it is shrinking, it may not be shrinking evenly across different racial groups. Right. And so what, what this really means is that uh, for the same level of pay, Latina and black women are putting in about twice as much work, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we can see how that leads to some of the mental health, the stress, the uh, health concerns, the high blood pressure, the diabetes, all of those things that we see in higher propensities in populations of color yeah. can show up as a result of one something this simple. Yeah, and then all roads lead back to childcare. As that's been brought up a few times, so thinking of the foundational issues and then growing from there but very interesting well those those racialized pay gaps also exist with, amongst ch- child care providers yeah. so that's another issue <laughs> yeah of course and so we just keep tracking tracking <laughs> yeah. tracking down this tunnel of let's change legislation yeah. right Gotta well Layla pushing. as always you bring us some interesting numbers that challenge us to think in new and creative ways we hope you have a great rest of your Wednesday same to both of you. All right. Next up, we have Dr. Tabitha Davis with the Young Women's College Preparatory Academy. Dr. Davis, how are you? Thank you for having me this afternoon. How are you doing? We are doing well. We are excited to be celebrating International Women's Day in this month of women talking a lot of or talking about a lot of important conversations absolutely absolutely we're excited for this day and we actually kicked our day off with a a wonderful demonstration by kate the chemist um an interactive very entertaining um series of science experiments for our sixth and seventh grade students that was just phenomenal so celebrating girl power everywhere but particularly in stem That is awesome. And for our listeners that might not know of the Young Women's College Prep Academies, can you give a little insight into what they are? Sure. The Young Young Women's College Preparatory Academy here in Houston is part of Houston ISD, and we're also part of a unique network of schools called the Young Women's Preparatory Network. The network has 10 campuses across the state that offer STEM-focused single gender education to young women and we help girls to find excellence in various areas of STEM including um, engineering, computer science, and biotechnology for example. And where have you seen, oh go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is our campus's 11th year um, and we're really really excited um, to just continue focusing on STEM and excellence um, in womanhood in general. And we have been able to uh, consistently produce a 100% graduation rate each year um, since our first graduating class. 
In addition to that, 100% of our students matriculate into a four-year university. And then our completion rate from the universities um, with four-year degrees is more than double the national average. So very, very proud of that. This year we have our first graduate who has been admitted to Rice University. Ooh, Yay. Go Owls! <laughs> and also for the first time, um, a student has been, a graduate has been admitted into Princeton University. Oh, wow. And so it's just March, just the beginning of March, and we have um, over $2.2 million in merit-based scholarships for our girls with a graduating class of only 30. That is incredible. So you hear all these numbers and statistics, and we know from our rankings and from what we've looked at across schools that this academy performs very well in HISD. So what is, Dr. Bob's not with us, but what he calls the secret sauce of the school. Where do you see, either from leadership, from teachers, from student engagement, the power in um, the school? So it's honestly this wonderful combination of caring educators, who are experts in their field, who truly, truly care about and want to see their students thrive and succeed. Um, We have great girls that come to us from across the city, from throughout HISD's attendance zone, but also from other districts. We do accept transfers into the district. Um, And these girls have various talents, various strengths, various interests, but when they come here, and it's funny because at our sixth grade rose ceremony, many will say, well, I aspire to be a fashion designer, I aspire to be an artist, and and we encourage that, right? But by the end, they have grown into girls that have this phenomenal sense of awareness and appreciation for and interest in STEM-related fields as well. So we... um, What we offer is not just them, it's STEAM, because we do embed the arts throughout everything that we do. And so having the caring staff, having girls who um, are motivated and want to learn and who have their interests tapped into daily in class across the curriculum, and then having supportive parents, Mm -hmm. that's the secret sauce. You know, we don't offer on-level courses. All of our coursework is advanced, so it's either pre-AP AP or dual credit. And so the journey is not easy. It is challenging and it is rigorous. But we give our girls the support to be successful academically, socially, and emotionally by teaching the soft skills. We teach study skills and organizational skills. We give them the tools um, to succeed. And then we have something called advocacy that's built into our school day And it's a class period that every student has. They can use that time to study, to catch up on homework, to prepare for an exam, to finish a report. Um, And and it gives them truly something that, you know, we can't give them more time. But we can show them how to make the most of the time that we have. Um, And so that's something that's been very effective as well. Dr. Davis, one of the conversations where we have an education space uh, today is how external factors are influencing the progress that students are making in the classroom. Uh, what are yeah. some of those external challenges that you guys see on a weekly basis and what steps have you guys taken to help the girls overcome those? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> That's, this could be a layered answer. I'll try to keep it um as brief as possible. So we know that middle school and high school years are transitional years for all students, right, regardless of gender. For females, there's some additional layered, you know, hormonal changes and, and just emotional changes that happen. When you add on top of that, the past three school years have been everything but normal. Mm-hmm. So what we see... Uh, what we have seen over the past couple of years is a reintegration into normal social activity, a reintegration into um, students interacting face-to-face, in close proximity, um, in, in a traditional setting. With that, we've had to help 
students to relearn um, some of the skills that they didn't get to practice when they were at home learning um, independently, virtually, in front of the computer. So we do have a full-time social-emotional learning counselor on campus, as well as a full-time academic counselor. Mm-hmm. And those ladies are incredibly instrumental in programs that we do throughout the year that help to that help our students to develop and refine their socialization skills, their conflict resolution, uh, troubleshooting, positive support with decision making. Um, helping them to navigate difficult coursework, manage their time effectively. Um, those supports, in addition to um, teachers who really care, and if they see that a girl is preoccupied or disengaged or discouraged, you know, they they take the time to check on our students, to have those conversations, to see if they're okay. And then if they realize that there is a need for additional support, they reach out immediately um, to an administrator, to our counselor, our social emotional learning counselor. Um, yeah, so and it's so important too to have those wraparound services, and it's exciting to hear that you're providing that. I know I myself am a fan of the network, but I encourage our listeners to look more into the secret sauce of the Young Women's College Prep Academies. And thank you for your service to young women, especially in the STEM integration. So thank you so much for calling in. There's one thing I would be remiss if I did not mention. We have a full-time college success advisor. Oh, yes, yes. And that's a major piece in the secret sauce. She coordinates college tours so that we give our students access and exposure to the post-secondary setting as early as sixth grade. But she also works with our girls one-on-one to help them navigate the financial uh, financial aid process mm-hmm. from their FAFSA application to grants and scholarships. She also works with them on getting into their choice schools, um, completing the college apps and, and everything. So. That's a major piece of our secret sauce as well. We love hearing about the great work that's happening at the Young Women's College. Unfortunately, we're out of time to learn more today, but we will definitely consider you for future episodes. Thanks so much, Dr. Davis. You're welcome. Continuing this theme of closing the equity gap. And making sure that there's less misconception about a difference between men and women, boys and girls, and what we're able to achieve. We're now going to hear from the leader of Black Girls Do Engineer, Miss Cara Branch. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for calling in. Can you give us some insights of some of the highlights you're seeing, uh, the accomplishments that girls are making in the field of engineering and other STEM? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the accomplishments that I'm seeing, sorry, uh, and with the girls in my program um, is that they are continuously showing up to to learn STEM. And that speaks a lot of volumes itself. Um, A lot of times what I've learned from doing this work and being a chemical engineer myself is that um, the girls are counted out before they even started and people thinking that they're just not interested. However, um, with our program, we've seen them time and time show up um, in large numbers to do the activities with us. And so uh, them showing up itself is showing people we do want to do this. Um, The issue that they run into is the lack of resources, right, and that's what our organization provides them. Um, So that, for me, speaks a lot of volumes, them just showing up at an early age, continuously showing up to, to learn uh, new ways to do different types of STEM activities with our organization. Um, and I'm also seeing them from there going to college and also into their careers as well. Yeah. Can you help our listeners understand what your program entails? How often do you meet with the girls and, you know, how long do they stay in your program? Can they stay in your program? Absolutely. So Black Girls Do Engineer, we started in Houston, Texas. Um, we're headquartered there now. We have chapters in Los Angeles and also New Orleans, and we also offer a virtual platform. So girls pretty much anywhere can can have an experience with our program. So what our program does, our, our organization goals is to provide access, awareness, and advocate for 2 million black American girls to choose STEM careers by the year 2050. Um, so my team and I, we are STEM professionals. Uh, we work in these fields. 
I tell people a lot of time, my team and I still work in the field and do this work. So we do it most definitely from passion. And it's really based off of representation and exposure. Uh, we follow a philosophy where you have to see it to believe it. Um, because we, my team and I, are first-gen college graduates. And we really wish we had someone to do this for us. And so this is our way of doing that with them. So with the program itself, um, we offer... Um, three programs, really. Um, our STEM program is a hands-on STEM focus where the girls are coming in with my team and our volunteers who are also STEM professionals and work in the field and doing these hands-on STEM activities. Uh, we offer a financial literacy program, really just from the whole money management perspective. Um, going into STEM careers can really just change your life. Um, it was very life-changing for me being a first-gen uh, college graduate. Um, and then your your salary can increase, and so we want to make sure these kids know how to manage their money and also manage co- uh, corporations that they will work for money. Um, me coming from an underserved community and going into corporations, um, working on capital projects, there were millions and millions of dollars. Um, that was a big change for me. So we want to make sure these girls are equipped to do that, and then we offer a mentorship program and training as well. Uh, for our girls where they're paired up with STEM professionals to really just navigate. So the age range we work with with our program is starting as early as six years old. Um, And they go, we go all the way up to 21. Um, They don't do all the same things. Um, We do build activities based on where they are at the age level. Um, They meet with us. We are a membership-based organization. So what that means is girls join into our program. Uh, They meet with us during our membership year from October to May. Um, we do have an application process, so they do get accepted into our program. Many of my girls have been with me since 2019, um, so they have really grown with us. Um, we do cap out at numbers. It's really hard to decide that number these days because our demand is so high. Um, but we cap out at a certain number, and, and the girls can grow with us with this program. Excellent. As as a woman in a somewhat male-dominated field. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the challenges you have faced professionally and uh, what what progress have we made in overcoming some of those? Yeah, so for me, um, the number one challenge I faced, I've been working as an engineer for eight years and I've always been the only black woman in all of my roles. So one of my biggest challenges, I didn't really have anyone who looks like me and even outside of from just a black woman's perspective, there's just not enough women um, in STEM, uh, period. So there's uh, data shows there's about 25% of women that occupy the STEM workforce. Uh, 5% of that is women of color, and 2.9% of that is black women. And so it's just I never felt that I could be comfortable in the space. I couldn't be me. I found myself changing a lot to blend into the corporate world um, where I really just wanted to freely be myself. So that was a big challenge I faced. Also coming from more of a minority community um, and transitioning to a community where there's not a lot of minorities and working in that space was also a hard thing that I had to face. Um, so those are some of, some of my challenges. Um, I think overall, over the, overall, since there's not as many women in STEM, we still are dominating in the field and we're doing groundbreaking work and we're doing amazing things. Um, so we are... We are just as, as good, <laughs> and um, we do do great work. And so I don't, I don't think that ever stopped me from seeing that it was male-dominant. Being in the classroom side and studying for the degree, I've seen that. I was equipped to be able to deal with that because I didn't see many women in the room from early on in my studies. But going into the industry, it, it kind of um, was changing for me because I went to HBCU, um, so coming from around a, a minority group, seeing a lot of people studying to be what I was going to school to be and going into industry and not seeing any of us there, that was just really shocking for me. Yeah, and it's important. Real quick before we go, because we're running out of time, is the application process open for this upcoming October for those listening and interested in applying? Yeah, so we have a um, member interest form for our, if you're interested in being a part, that is available now. We open that up in March. It closes at the end of March, uh, where you can express interest if you would like to join our program. Um, from there, um, we will send out the application to the people who express interest, and, and we will have our final decisions by the end of April of who would be a part of our program uh, starting in October. 
All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. We are excited to have you back on and keep collaborating. And thank you for the powerful work you're doing for women in STEM. Next up, we have Erin McDaniel with Texas A+. Erin, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? We are doing well. I've said this a million times, but we are celebrating International Women's <laughs> Day. So thank you as a woman in education or an educator um, for all the work that you do. Oh, no problem. Awesome. So we have this segment that we set um, almost every week. We try to at least integrate it every other week from the classroom. So thinking we're on the cusp of spring break, what are some things happening in education right now in the classroom that you're seeing um, that's either either really powerful or might need a little more focus from our state? Um, oh man, right now it's right before spring break. Right. Everybody is getting their plans together for state testing. So I feel like no matter which campus I visit or um, what I see or even just talking to colleagues, I feel like that's like just the biggest hot topic right now is how can we get our children prepared um, in order to be successful on their exams. Right. And thinking of this year is the new wave of state testing, correct? Or the changes. So it might yeah. be a little bit more pressure, too. And I'm sure urgency from the classroom on getting those tests right. rolled out or seeing what it looks like. Right. And then are those tests still, this is technical, but administered virtually or are they back to paper? So this year it's supposed to be 100 percent online. Gotcha. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest changes. I know over the past few years, campuses have had the opportunity to kind of do like a trial run with that, especially since like COVID, just to see how it works as far as like putting everybody um, online. Because one of the biggest issues, or not one of the biggest issues, but an issue that I definitely saw with technology on each of the campuses and just, you know, not having enough for all the students. So they had to be creative in how they would roll out their plans but this year it's supposed to be 100 percent online yeah and thinking about this time of year knowing it's when the burnout starts to come for teachers what are you hearing in teachers and leadership of what would be needed or if you had a magic wand could be waived for the next school year to prepare to bring in a strong teacher workforce or maintain a strong teacher workforce um i think one of the things that would be beneficial is Whenever teachers are, when they leave for the summer and then they um, have to do their summer professional developments and they have to get ready for the next school year, is really having those professional developments at the beginning of the school year that are going to set them up for success for the entire year. Right. Oftentimes, a lot of the professional developments might be geared towards things that some teachers are already proficient at, um, but it's almost like a one-size-fits-all typically whenever those professional developments are come into play. So I think that that's probably one of the biggest things that would be very helpful for teachers. Erin, earlier in the segment, we talked a little bit about the pay gap and how, you know, women just earn fewer, fewer money, less money because mm -hmm. their, their, their rate is less than what men are earning um, in a field like teaching where women are the predominant workers, uh, what do you think could be done to really elevate women um, and let them know that they are appreciated, valued, and considered, you know, precious in the field of teaching? Um, I think something that could be helpful in that realm is definitely like the recognition um, for all of the work that's put in and all of the things that um, they may do. Because oftentimes I feel like that does get overlooked, and I think just even a simple pat on the back or a simple uh, public piece of recognition would be very helpful for um, educators in that realm. Yeah. Um, and then going back to the concept of breaks, you know, parents are always wrestling between like, do I let my child have a full break? Do I give them some academic activities? Uh, where do you sit in terms of spring break? Like if you could give parents advice on how to plan their child's week, what would you encourage as far as that rest and relaxation versus, you know, a little academic reinforcement balance comes to play? Right, right. Okay, so... I definitely, um, in my perfect world, I would see um, 
yes, you have to get your rest and your relaxation, but at least taking some time throughout the day, whether it's 30 to 45 minutes, just to read something um, or, and I feel like that would probably be the biggest thing, just making sure that students are continuing to read because that's such like a big thing and helps with so much, helps so much just with literacy in general. Um, so, and it can be anything that the child prefers to read, um, but reading about it, talking about it with their parents, I think that that would be helpful. And if you're reading something more that you're interested in, I feel like that would kind of take away from, oh my gosh, like I'm doing schoolwork and put it right. more into like, oh, like I'm actually reading up on something that I enjoy and I'm talking about something that I enjoy. So it doesn't really seem like you're, I guess, quote unquote learning, but you're still practicing those skills. Right. I know when I was growing up in the summer, they had summer reading logs. Do they still do those? You had a like bubble every day you read a book. I would cheat. Sorry, mom. And at the end, you would get a reward. So it'd be like, go to grandma's house or um, it'd be small incentives. But it is making it also makes learning seem more impactful and relevant to students when they do it for enjoyment. When they go back to the classroom, it can impact how they view education. Right. I definitely agree. And yeah, they, they do still do those reading logs. <laughs> I know. I try to support the local public library. I know they have some activities. Well, cool. We also talked about maternal leave and maternal allowance. So thinking of that from an educator perspective, how can districts change or help advocate for stronger maternal leave for their or longer maternal leave for the teachers? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I myself have not been in that position, but I definitely have had colleagues and friends in that position. Mm-hmm. And typically what I always hear is that, um, you know, that there's not enough time for teachers or they have to make sure that they set up their short-term disability properly. And if they don't do that, then um, they don't have as much time to take off. Uh, I've been in the position where I've known people that have taken three months off or I've known somebody that's only had the time allotment to take off four weeks and four weeks for a turnaround is really not that much. Um, So maybe, yeah, yeah. Um, So maybe something in the realm of like just something. So no matter if you, I guess you don't have as many days, like maybe there can be like a bank of days where you can borrow from or some sort of thing for women that are actually, you know, expecting to have a child. Right. Excellent. Well, we love hearing insight directly from the classroom. Thanks so much for joining us today. Claire, we're almost done with the show for today. Sad news, huh? I know, I know. I'm sure the radio is really sad and ready to keep this station on. While you're on this station, though, if you want to call 713-526-722, I messed that up. 5738. If you press one, you can go ahead and make a donation to KPFT and keep us on air so you can hear our voices every single week. But we are ready to move on to our last guest. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry because they took my song off the playlist. We were supposed to hear Deep in the Heart of Texas going out, and I just don't know what's so going sorry, on Linda. in the back room. I am going to cry, but we are going to have some heartfelt conversation with our oh, Ask and you shall receive. Thank you so much. You know, we cannot end the show without a little bit of Deep in the Heart of Texas. <laughs> Linda, welcome to the conversation. How's your International Women's Day going so far? It's going well. I'm having a clementine with my dog. Uh, <laughs> that sounds ideal. But how are you all? It's good to be with you. You we know, we're trying good. to stay cool here in Houston, you know. I know. We're hitting 80. Is it a little warmer down there, or do you all have some more, some more wind your way? It's nice. It's pleasant. It's like in the 70s, but it, we don't get humid here in El Paso, Texas, so it's more pleasant. <laughs> 70s I need to travel. is very different in Houston. We're coming to visit you. Just yeah, don't worry. Save us a bit. You should. <laughs> so as our last caller of the day, you, you have two opportunities. One, to talk to us about your subject area for the day. And then before you sign off, we're going to ask you some fun questions about yourself. 
So let's get okay. started. Uh, I hear you want to talk to us about gender-based violence today. Right. You know, today is International Women's Day, and being on the border, I remember growing up with uh, femicides starting to happen in Ciudad Juarez. It's the Mexican town that we border here in El Paso. Mm -hmm. And I was like a freshman in high school when that started happening. And just learning about targeted violence against Mexican women at that time was really horrifying to me. Right. And I think that's something that inspired me to eventually become an asylum attorney. Um, and now I'm the director of the Children's Immigration Network with, with you all at Children at Risk. Um, but really, that was an empowering time for me because I was able to see how so many women all across the world are impacted by institutions, suffer from violence, and fail to get the kind of protections that they need. Um, from their own governments. And so for me to play a role in helping them obtain asylum and live in this country legally was really empowering. And I almost felt like a democracy cheerleader because I just thought, come to America, everything is great here. Our institutions function. Um, you can feel safe here taking your kids to school at the end of the day. And obviously, many of that has changed here in America um, for women. And so I feel like it's a bar for us to reach. Right. Um, but it's certainly the bar that women all across the world seek to obtain here in the United States to live in our safe country. Yeah. So I guess it's just a, a little two cents about how important it is to um, protect asylum seekers who do live here and support them. And, and I hope that significant re reform happens on the border. So border, the border is a tough conversation for us here in Texas, right? There's lots of views uh, for and against, you know, uh, stricter reinforcements to prevent a crossing over the border. Uh, if, if you could in launch a campaign uh, to inform why asylum is so essential. What are some like three key things that you would highlight for people who just are not informed about this gender-based violence reality on the border? Well, I think one is for us to really consider how like-minded our um, like-minded asylum seekers are with our own values. They value democracy. Um, they, they value civic engagement and, too, they're just so grateful to be here. Um, so the benefits our economy receives um, by having them work in this country is, is amazing. And I would say third is, is our moral obligation. You know, when we are a plentiful government, we are a plentiful country, um, these asylum seekers that do cross the border are only going to benefit our economies down the line. Um, but it's also a moral obligation to step up and be international leaders on these issues. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very, very easy to share a post or a campaign on social media highlighting something happening across the world um, and then turning a blind eye when it, you're able to help and provide that asylum. Right. I mean, I would say send that send emails to your elected officials and let them know you care about this. I mean, currently the Biden administration is working really hard on <laughs> essentially gutting our asylum laws on the border, but it's also a really important time for Americans to be engaged in the process as well and, and share your opinions about it. From what you've seen as an asylum attorney, what are some of the supports that women need as they're making this transition out of an environment of violence? I think transforming how we welcome at the border is really important. Mm -hmm. um, I worked with women who suffered sexual violence in detention. Um, and so seeing these hyper-masculine roles um, in detention was really horrific for me because they had already experienced uh, persecution in their own home country. They suffered so much just to get to this country. And then to suffer at the hands of our law enforcement was really hard. Um, so I, I think limiting or eliminating uh, their time in detention is really important. And, and taking a humane approach is, is key. 
Yeah. Where do you see or do you see a community coming together um, to help provide those resources? Or is that too? Could there be more information out to different community partners to pull together and provide those sources? Well, I think that's one place where my hometown is really leading in El Paso because, mm-hmm. you know, with Title 42 and uh, the, cl- the border being close to asylum seekers, it sort of forced the county government to work with law enforcement, immigration law enforcement, and nonprofit organizations. So for persons who are listening now and are worried about border security, to me, that's what a secure community looks like yeah. when all of these key groups are in communication. So there's a lot to learn from El Paso. Yeah, as there always seems to be. We need to look to El Paso for a lot of our questions. And Linda, thank you so much. We are going to move into our five fun questions that I know we've had you on. So you might have answered a few before. So we apologize. Um, But Naomi, do you want to start it off? Yes, I would love to know what actress you would play in a movie about your life. Uh, I, Selena Gomez, and especially with all the feuds now. (laughs) Now you have to have her. Selena Gomez. (laughs) all the way <laughs> i agree i'm streaming all of your music selena <laughs> perfect and then just a rare um it's not on here but what would be the soundtrack to your life the soundtrack what do you mean the theme song What's like if you had like, a theme song or just one oh, soundtrack it doesn't song. have to be selena gomez so we can stream her. but that would play behind or in your movie what would it be what is that song? I'm every woman. Oh, it's <laughs> all in me. Yeah. Come on, Linda. <laughs> I'm doing themes here for International Women's Day, but I, I'm totally in that vibe today. So. I, I think that's it. a great soundtrack. <laughs> Do you have a favorite comfort movie, TV show, streaming app that you like to go to? So this doesn't make any sense at all, but I, (laughs) I love like these true crime, um, movies, (laughs) nice uh, comfort, anything true crime. I don't know why I, it just like completely displaces my mind. And I think nothing about anything that's stressing me and just trying to figure out who did it. So to be fair, the voices are fairly calming the narrators. So I, I do have that. Even if the story is. <laughs> and they lay it out in such a way that you have to give your full being to it. It's like, I, I can't, yes. I you can't yourself blink. are solving the crime. Right. <laughs> yes. I have an obligation to be engaged. <laughs> you are. Well, thank you so much, Linda. We look forward to having you on again. And we hope you have a great rest of your International Women's Day. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of another segment of Growing Up in America by Children at Risk. We look forward to seeing you next Wednesday at 1 p.m. If you're not able to tune in live, go ahead and turn to the website and you can listen to the show afterwards Uh, in the meantime have a great international women's day go ahead and pick up the phone and call one of those women who has made a difference in your life and let them know that you're grateful for their presence we'll see you soon here this at 90.1 kpft (laughs) for children Jumped in the cab, here I am for the first time Look to my right and I see the Hollywood sign This is all so crazy To the land of fame and so famous Jumped in the cab, here I am for the first time Look to my right and I see the Hollywood sign Howdy folks, this is Big Kev, your most excellent host of the Roots Rock Revolution, and you lucky folks, you're listening to KPFT, Houston, 90.1 FM, HD1, 
Check us out. You'll love it. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. <laughs> Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Walking into the building for the first time after the shooting, it was crippling, but it had to be preserved. In response to the Pulse nightclub shooting that affected the LGBTQ community,